how to make thousands of dollars a month on YouTube without filming or even being on camera. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because every expert was once a beginner. Super interesting side hustle to share with you today, and that's creating viral videos for YouTube without filming and without having to be on camera yourself. John Chorus is here today from viralvideosuccess.com to walk us through his process for coming up with content you think is going to hit the algorithm just right to rack up those views and those ad dollars. John's a listener of the show who took his YouTube side hustle full-time this year. He sent me a note that said, hey, I'm making eight to 11 grand a month from YouTube ads on these faceless entertainment style videos. And that doesn't look like something you've covered before. What do you think? Well, I was intrigued to learn more and to share this with you. The basic idea is actually really similar to blogging in that you're trying to create compelling content that attracts viewers, usually based on what's already proven to do well, and then monetizing that with advertising, in this case, with YouTube's built-in ad platform. The big difference and the big wild card here is YouTube's internal viral algorithm. February 27th is when that video hit exactly 1 million views, and 1 million views on YouTube equated to about $3,200. And then to date, I think that video now is sitting at 8 million views and at over $18,000 in revenue just from one video. And all it cost me to produce that video was $80. Stick around in this episode to learn how John tries to set up his channels and his videos to ride that viral wave and cash in. You'll find the full text summary and links to all the resources mentioned in this one at sidehustlenation.com slash John, J-O-N. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this chat with John after the interview. We start this conversation with the question that was at the top of my mind, 18 grand from one video, what was this video about? Ready? Let's do it. That video was, I've never heard of this person ever, it was just based on my research, but it's based on someone named Jojo Siwa. She's a teen actor, again, I've never heard of her, but their research really dialed down. And the way I do research on YouTube really dialed down regarding hey, I think it might be a good idea to make a video on this actor who I've never heard of named Jojo Siwa. Never heard of her either. Yeah. <laughs> she's a, I think, almost 18 or 17-year-old girl, and she's appeared in a TV show called Dance Moms. Again, I never heard of her. The research just checked out. I decided to do a top 10 video on her, and that's it checked out and eventually took off. Apparently, 8 million other people know her. So, <laughs> All right. Well, that is a perfect segue into coming up with what to create videos about. If you don't know who this person is, how are you, first of all, discovering her, finding out enough information about her to create a top 10 facts about JoJo type of video? The way I do research is I I try to find trending or sought out videos on YouTube. So if you were to follow my model, what I would do is find videos or topics that have a high amount of views, but the channel posting them has a low amount of subscribers. Because when you find a video that has a lot of views on it, for example, a video that has a million views on it posted by a channel that only has 10,000 subs, there's something that you can assume and confirm from that. It's that YouTube is pushing that video into the algorithm. YouTube is pushing those keyword topics into the algorithm. And that's because even if all 10,000 subscribers watch the YouTube video, technically that video would only get 10,000 views. However, because the video has you know a million views, you know for a fact that not all these subscribers are watching this video, but the YouTube algorithm is pushing that video into the algorithm. Into search results or suggested videos. Yeah, into search results, into suggested videos, into the homepage of other non-subscribed people. So, Okay. So maybe I peel that back one layer and say, okay, if if this is something that interests me, first I've got to come up with a niche. And maybe that niche is celebrities or entertainment or movies or something like that. And there's definitely a bunch of successful channels in that space. But maybe it's, you know, start with something that you're interested in. For me, you know, maybe that would be skiing or like baseball is dead to me at this point, but like maybe it's skiing or maybe it's like funny parenting meme. I don't even know what it would be, but trying to figure out. So I would search for like the most expensive lift tickets or like the best powder runs or something like that. And trying to find a video 
that has more views than subscribers, and hopefully by a substantial amount, because that's kind of your indicator that there's some interest in this topic or there's a viral element to this topic. Yes, and that and that topic is actually being put into the YouTube algorithm. So regarding niche selection, I get this question a lot from my students or people who are just coming to me, but there's no really right niche to select upon. You know, I do promote, hey, do something that you're passionate about. It's as cliche as it sounds, but if you're doing something that you're passionate about, you're more likely to enjoy it and the less it turns into tedious hard work. But in any niche that you decide to do, any video that gets a million views in whatever niche it's in, it's bound to be monetizable one way or another, whether it's through ads, whether it's through generating leads or adding them to your email list. So the number one thing is that it just has to be a niche that's sought out after on YouTube. It can't be something so underground that no one's searching for it on YouTube. I think both you and I can agree regarding niches that are sought after on YouTube, such as sports, celebrities, TV shows, movies. So th- there's a lot of every anything that you see on YouTube that's mainstream or popular in pop culture. Those are niches that I work and they usually do fall under entertainment. But there's also people who are doing in the make money niche and are making faceless videos. There's people that are doing just stories, entertainment stories about stories that they write. And they're still in the faceless video aspect. So, Are there any niches that are just so absurdly competitive you would avoid at all costs? So regarding competition on YouTube, I really don't see it as competition because the way getting a lot of views works on YouTube is that your views are always going to become from 99% non-subscribers. So on YouTube, when one of your videos like takes off, for example, when you check your analytics, 99% of the viewers are going to be coming from non-subscribers. And then when you actually dial down closer into the analytics, you're going to see the traffic sources coming from search, browse, and suggested. Those are probably the three biggest ones. And then when you click on suggested, you can actually see the videos that are promoting your video. So of course, the way suggested traffic works is that related videos are recommending related videos. So suggested traffic, when you click the suggested traffic tab, you're going to see that it's actually your quote unquote competitors videos that are similar to yours that are promoting your video. So in my sense, I don't really see it as competition. You know, people who are posting similar videos to mine and now their videos are promoting my video, it all works hand in hand together. When one person posts similar content to yours, it shouldn't have any negative effect on your content. Okay, that makes sense because there's, instead of necessarily like a Google search result where, you know, I'm fighting everybody to kind of get to the top of page one, It's like, and at the bottom of my article, there's not like suggested results. Like, hey, you might want to check out the guy who's number two. Ah, it doesn't really work that way. But here it's like, there's this viral element where it's like, we want to keep people on YouTube because that earns us more ad dollars and and all this stuff. We've been watching a lot of kids' science videos. My son will say, I have a science word. I have a science question. And we'll look up like, why are hammerhead sharks heads shaped like that or something? And, And we see this type of video in a lot of cases where there's no aquarium narrator necessarily like showing you. It's just kind of a compilation of different clips and there's voiceover and there's graphics and stuff. And they go out and do this little bit about facts about hammerheads. So there's lots of different angles that you can play here. And it sounds like your recommendation is to first find a niche that you're somewhat interested in, or you could see yourself working in looking for these videos that have, we're looking for a handful of videos that have outsized success compared to the subscriber count, but then looking at certain channels in that niche for inspiration, because it's it kind of like building a little brand. Your channel is a brand, essentially, and you kind of want to stick in your lane rather than just creating a bunch of random topics, like whatever the research leads you to. Am I hearing that right? Yes, yes, exactly. Is a million views like kind of the minimum threshold? Like once you're kind of in this niche, is there a minimum threshold that you're looking for in terms of like, okay, I want to tackle the same topic or a similar topic? My number one thing is that as long as the views are more than the subscribers, that's number one. But the exact number that I do try to go for, especially in my model of YouTube, is just at least 
300,000 views. As long as the video has 300,000 more views and then the subscriber count is lower than that, I'm usually happy with that topic. Especially if the video is older since YouTube does prefer newer videos. They prefer fresh new content, just like Google. That's also another indicator that, yeah, this may be a good topic to actually post content on. So, Okay, if the existing videos that are out there are a couple years old and have several hundred thousand views, you could say, oh, this might be ripe to revisit at this point. And maybe a, a newer, a fresher take on it would have the chance to go viral again. Yes, exactly. So especially videos that you see in the top 10 search results having millions of views but are like seven years old, that's a perfect opportunity to capitalize on and create a new video on, make it longer, make it actually watch the video and make it better. So yeah, I'm curious what to dive into the the actual content creation side of things in a moment. But do you have a hit rate in mind? Because like not everything that you publish, I imagine is going to reach that level of viral success. It's similar to affiliate marketing, SEO, blogging, where not everything that I publish is going to hit the first page of Google. It's going to break even on my investment to write it myself or hire a writer. Talk to me a little bit about the math and the ad revenue and the break-even analysis and stuff that goes into this. Yeah, so not at all. You're definitely right in the sense that not every video that I post goes viral. Of course not. From a mathematical standpoint, probably one of every eight to 10 videos I post actually break even plus more. But the idea is that once one video breaks down, so let's pretend each video, this is just from my how much I'm paying, but if each video is costing me about a hundred bucks to post on YouTube, every day I post, I'm probably only making maybe 20 to 40 bucks back. But once one video actually does take off the ROI on it, for example, usually 1 million views equates to $3,000. And that's on the very low CPM. What's that? That's a $3 CPM? Yeah, you got that exactly right. So it's CPM cost per 1,000 views. This is roughly how much you get paid per 1,000 views your ads get on your videos. A low CPM is $3. A really high CPM is $30. So on a very low CPM, even if around a million views, a $3 CPM, you're likely to make $3,000. And that basically encompasses the past 10 to 20 videos that you posted, plus a bit more. And even after the video goes viral, every single day, it's still making passive income technically, whether it's $2 a day, $5 a day. So eventually, there's a point in this model of YouTube where you're always aiming for a high viewed video. But eventually, with all these videos, they also just start trickling. 50 cents, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a day. And that's the average income that you're going to start getting daily. And that eventually plays out. So on average, on one of my channels, I make about anywhere from three to four hundred dollars a day. And that's without any videos going viral. It's just all the videos accumulated, gaining an X amount of views per day. And all those videos combined, for example, it's about, I think, 190 videos. They're now making about 300 to 400 dollars a day. Okay, that's helpful. So you may have production costs, call it 100 bucks a video. So for those 10 videos, $1,000, and then banking on one of them, likely erasing all that cost and then some. So it's definitely an interesting numbers game and an analysis here. But like you said, these are digital assets that, that live on that may not you know, be a hit right away, but can accumulate views, accumulate revenue over time. Of course, this is after your channel has reached the minimum threshold to become monetized, which I believe at press time are 4,000 hours of watch time and 1,000 subscribers. But one viral video will take care of that for you in a hurry, yes? Yes, you got that exactly right. And regarding all these videos that anyone ever posts on YouTube, you have to think of it kind of like, again, digital assets. You never know when that video is going to get picked by the algorithm. I've had a video just recently I posted back in April. And just now hit over, it just took off out of nowhere, hit 2 million views. And again, that's about roughly $6,400. So a video I posted back in April, which I thought was a complete flop, ended up getting picked up about two weeks ago. So your audience is never going to know whatever video they post when it's going to take off or go into the YouTube algorithm. But once they post it, they actually never have to do anything with it. It just, it's kind of like a digital seed waiting to grow into a tree 
which might happen, you know, next month, two months from now, six months from now, even a year from now. So that's the mindset that I have regarding every video that I post that I see that doesn't do well. If it doesn't do well today, maybe it'll do well next month or the month after. So I think that's a good mindset for your audience to have every time they post a video and just having an arsenal of videos, all these digital seeds, giving you more chances to appear in the YouTube algorithm. Your audience members who do that are setting themselves up for success eventually, and all it takes is one video. Yeah, I've had my first kind of mini experience with that. And, you know, I'm looking at the analytics for this now. It's just over 91,000 views, so nothing crazy, crazy viral. But it's a video that I posted two years ago, and technically it's not even a video. It's just a static image and then audio from a podcast episode that we did. And that one video was the majority of the thing that was responsible for taking the YouTube channel ad revenue from like 250, 300 bucks a month to over 1100 when it was at its peak of a little viral wave there. And it definitely opened my eyes to, okay, this is a really interesting platform that's kind of worth paying maybe a little bit more attention to. So I've been studying YouTube a little bit. I've still got a long way to go, but I'm excited for what may be to come over there as we dive deeper into this stuff. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster, and 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors, and what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So what's next? So we're doing our video analysis. Maybe let's walk through an example of something that you find compelling as far as next steps. Maybe it's this JoJo celebrity type of video, but maybe a recent example of something that you've done the research for. You said, yes, this is a topic that I want to tackle. What comes next in terms of due diligence and, and then investing in having this video made? After the research, you should come up with the thumbnail and title next. So with that thumbnail and title, it really matters, and I think this is something that a lot of people on YouTube really undermine or don't spend a lot of time on. Because even if you create the best quality video on Earth subjectively, if you don't have an engaging thumbnail or title, you're really going to cut yourself short and that no one is probably going to watch your video anyways, even though it's probably the best video in the world. Okay, So after the research, because the research is very important, I really do focus a whole lot of time, a considerable amount of time that you'll probably find surprising on creating a good thumbnail and a good title. And after I have the thumbnail and title in mind, which should always be created beforehand, even before you actually start your video, 
that's when I have my script writers write the script. And then after the script is written, it goes down to the voiceover artist who recites the script. And then once the script and voiceover files are ready, that goes to my video editing team, who then create the faceless video aspect to it, where they're matching visuals and clips to go accordingly and engagingly with what's being said in the voiceover. Okay, interesting. So you're starting with the script and the audio first. If you don't know anything about the topic, is it just, you know, similar to YouTube or uh, Google SEO? It's like, well, here's the top 10, top 20 results for that search term. Let me mix and match and add what limited knowledge I may have to that topic and then try and create something better, different, more compelling. I'm curious about the production process. For example, Jojo Siwa, like my research may lead me to her, but then I would have nothing. And I guess I could watch 10 or 12 other videos about her and try and come up with something. So that's the first part. And then I've got to follow up when you're done. Okay. So my script writers, it's all just based on research, whatever articles they find on Google. But the kind of style of videos that we always emphasize on, and no matter what niche you're in, there's always a way to turn it into a top 10 style countdown. And there's a few reasons why top 10 style videos are important. One, it's because psychologically, when someone sees a number in your video, they're going to expect, for example, top 10 best Netflix original series you must watch. They're already expecting 10 series to watch in your video. So already your watch time is likely to increase. So with a top 10 style of video, from a psychological standpoint, I always have my script writers write from number 10 to number one. And that's because you and I can probably agree also when we're watching a video that has 10 items listed in it, the closer we get to number one, we're anticipating that number one is going to be really good. But the way I do my scripts is that I actually make numbers 10 and number eight really good. I tell my script writers to make that content, whatever items, number 10 and number nine and number eight, really good information so that it captivates the viewers who are watching the video and then make the middle okay material, you know, just good enough material. This is regarding the 80-20 rule. And then numbers two and one, also really good information subjectively. So all this information is a lot of subjective opinion, but it comes down to, you know, if we think this is good information, we'll just go with it. It's not really validated, but the research mostly just comes from YouTube. All my script writers know how to research topics that they're not familiar with. It's never been a problem, but the way I assign scripts or come up with video topic ideas is that it's always going to include a, a number and like a sequential order or ranking to them. And this can carry over to whatever niche your audience may be in, whether it's, you know, if they're interested in skiing or if they're interested in sharks, you know, top 10 coolest sharks or top 10, you know, ski lifts, or if they're interested in cars. So there's always a way in whatever niche I think people are in to sequentially rank an interesting topic within that niche. Okay. Let's go down this skiing example and say I want to create something on the 10 steepest ski runs that are inbounds or something in North America. Like, I don't know, maybe there's something that exists on this, but like without traveling to all of these ski areas and buying lift tickets and filming, like, how am I going to come up with the footage for that? Yeah. So with footage, there's something called, I think maybe we'll link this down below in the description, but it's called the Copyright Act 107. So before I fell into this model of YouTube, I was really studying the top dogs on YouTube who run this model of YouTube very successfully. And they're actually like full-fledged businesses. So one of these channels is named Watch Mojo, And WatchMojo's CEO, is his name is Ashkan Karbufushan. And I watched a bunch of interviews on him. And he has a bunch of videos regarding how it's possible to use, quote-unquote, copyrighted visuals in your videos and actually get them monetized. So it does fall under the Copyright Fair Use Act. But to actually get these visuals for my own videos, I use an application called 4K Video Downloader. And me or my video editors, we actually just download YouTube clips and cut them up in very small segments, five to seven second pieces at a time. And all these compilations of visuals that we're getting from YouTube mostly they comprise of the visuals that are going to appear in our video. And 
the creative aspect comes from matching appropriate and engaging visuals to match what's being said in the voiceover. So to use 4K video downloader and actually downloading YouTube clips off of YouTube, that's probably our number one source of where we're getting the visuals to make. So regarding ski lifts, I would just look up ski lifts on YouTube, find a couple of videos that are showing visuals of ski lifts and use that as the visuals, as long as they're you know high quality, actually relevant to what's being said in the voiceover, I would use those visuals for what's being said in the video. Okay. And it's considered fair use because you're making an adaptation, you're making a review, you're making making a new piece of content from something that was already existed. It's like I'm on Watch Mojo and it looks like they have a bunch of movie clips and, and stuff like that. And it's like, but because they're putting their own unique spin on it, they're not pretending to be the movie studio. They're not pretending to be Disney or Marvel or whoever. They're able to say like, this is a unique piece of fair use content. And so far they haven't run into any legal trouble on that. It's, it's an interesting <laughs> legal question. Yeah. So they actually, there's only been one time where they ran into legal trouble with it, but they actually ended up winning the case. I was very fearful of that. Again, the, the legal trouble, but Ashcon really went through a dial down detail regarding these companies that you use their videos in your videos it's kind of like free advertising for them. So for the most part, Watch Mojo has a bunch of record label companies, you know, Bruno Mars's record label company asking Watch Mojo to make videos on Bruno Mars or Disney asking Watch Mojo to make more Disney content because it's increasing their brand awareness. So that's one really positive way that Watch Mojo has said has come from using fair use that people actually want them to use their content. And then regarding the legal troubles, it does come down to the Fair Use Act because we're adding an entertainment or educational standpoint regarding the content that we create. For example, top 10, even though it's for entertainment, there's still a way to twist it and make it educational in terms of you're informing people about, for example, the top 10 ski lifts. So it does turn into fair use after that point. The key points are to make sure that you're only using short segments of clips very short segments, compile them all together into an eight-minute or longer video, and actually having a voiceover commentary add value to what's being said over those clips. Okay. The key point also is that when you're pulling these videos from YouTube and using them as fair use, you never want to pull audio. I never use audio or original audio from the video. I always try to... Most of my videos try to only pull visuals, and then if I am going to pull audio for whatever reason, again, that's going to be like five seconds or less because I don't want to use it standalone. I want to use it to entice what's actually being said in our videos. Research first, script second, and then... The voiceovers next. So research first, and then coming up with a thumbnail and title because, again, you can create the best quality video, but if you don't have the a good title and thumbnail, no one's going to click to watch it. So I really do prioritize thumbnail and title second. And then afterwards, the script comes next, which is always step three. And you're front loading your scripts with like, if you have a top 10, for example, you're trying to put your best or juiciest stuff up front to say like, oh, wow, this is, this is great. I'm going to keep watching. Yep. Okay. And aiming for an eight to 10 minute script in general. Yeah, so usually 8 to 10 minutes of video does equate to about a 1,600 to 1,700 word script. Don't want to talk too fast. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So after the script comes the voiceover artist. So are you scripting these yourself? Or you, you got, you've got a team at this point, but like, was there a point when you were scripting these yourself? Oh, yeah, this was back in probably November 2019. I was doing everything myself. And I've, I've always been doing the research myself. I was actually writing these scripts myself. So I would just go into Google, just kind of like you're, how you're writing an article for a blog, just do your research. And then I would voice over using a Blue Yeti mic. And the video editing process is the one that takes a long time, a considerable amount of time. Because imagine if you're trying to make a 10 minute video or eight minute video to cut up a video that's only like six second segments, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need, <laughs> you need a lot. A lot of scripts. So that is why altogether I am spending about a hundred bucks per video because I do know 
from having done it myself, it is taking, it does take a lot of work. It's not easy. Which that seems, even a hundred bucks seems incredibly cheap for the level of video editing that I see on some YouTube videos. I'm curious how, how are you getting that done and what kind of, what level of storyboarding are you providing? Like, okay, insert this clip at this time. Are you sourcing all that stuff? Are they sourcing that stuff? Curious what that part of the process is like. With these videos, they do have to source them themselves. So they are using 4K video downloader to download multiple clips. But the creative aspect comes from, again, they have to get the good idea of what engaging visual would I see here while what's being said in the voiceover. So then they go and find that clip, use 4K video downloader, download the clip, and match that visual accordingly with what's being said in the voiceover. Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense if you can get it done affordably, the math can work a little bit better in your favor instead of, you know, if you're spending $400 a video, $500 a video, which, you know, given the production quality on some of these, like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how much they cost. And all of a sudden, now you need to have five times the success rate or five times the hit rate. It puts a lot more pressure on the revenue side. No, yeah, entirely. So I do know within this model of YouTube, I do know that there's some people, for example, animations, you linked one of your, I think one of your colleagues or friends' channels to me and those animations, I've, I've looked into them and those are on the pricier side of how much videos can cost. Some animations I know can cost almost $80 per minute to $150 per minute. So getting videos at $100 per video is a lot more affordable than paying, for example, $100 to $200 per minute for an animation video. So the price ranges can definitely vary. And to keep in mind, it's all about the when are you going to get the positive ROI back from all this money you're spending on videos? That's definitely one thing to consider. I have no doubt that people can create these videos themselves, just like how I have done before in the past. It does take time, but eventually to scale, hiring them out for at an affordable price would be one of the goals. Yes. Well, this is a good point in the call to plug viralvideosuccess.com because this is one of the services that you offer over there. It's like, hey, we have a, an editing service in-house. If you want to access John's team, you can do that over at viralvideosuccess.com. We have to take that for a spin. I don't know. Although, since my channel is, at least right now, the one that I have been working on, it's like personally branded. I'd probably have to be the guy doing the voiceover, but I could hand that off to an editor, maybe come up with different clips, different animations. I don't know. It's an interesting one. But talk to me a little bit about the uploading and optimization process once you've got this asset created? So optimization, it's not hard. I think everyone has the idea of how to optimize their videos on YouTube. What it really comes down to is that once you have your, you know, you've done your research, you know that there's certain keywords or keyword phrases that are coming from that video. So my three places where I technically quote unquote optimize my videos is that I put my keyword in the title. I put my keyword in the first line of the description. So what I would do if I was one of your audience members is that I would just copy and paste my title, copy and paste that into the first line of my description. And then I would also put my keyword in the tags as well. Okay, so again, optimization on YouTube. I just put my keyword or keyword phrase on the title, first line of description, and tags. Now within the description, I actually do write a keyword enriched description regarding what the video is actually about. In addition to that, I also do include three relevant YouTube links for relatable videos that people might want to watch as well. Are these on your channel or other channels? These sometimes might be from my channel only or from other channels, as long as they're relatable videos, though. I do sometimes link people off of my own channel. But again, it's to get people to stay on YouTube. It doesn't have a negative impact on anyone to keep people on YouTube. The way I see it, a lot of the times when people... They think it's an optimization problem, but again, I've stated out how, how I do my optimization, right? So keyword in the title, keyword in the phrase, and keyword in the description. One of the things that I really think a lot of people cut themselves short is the thumbnail and title. I can't emphasize enough that rarely ever is it an SEO problem. It might be, maybe your video isn't keyword focused or keyword phrase focused, but primarily, a lot of the times, it's also a thumbnail and title problem, and that can be that can be validated. You know, when you're seeing your video at a two or three percent click through rate, and then with click through rate, my goal for a good click through rate, and I think everyone's goal for a good click through rate should be ten percent or higher. 
if you think about it, what leads to a good click-through rate is a good title and a good thumbnail. So people really need to spend more time, or I would recommend listeners to spend a lot more time really working on a good title and a good thumbnail. Don't cut yourself short from that. Okay, 10% is the metric to aim for there because that means more people are going to see it. Yes, I do recommend. With all the videos that I've ever gone viral from my end, so viral to define, I'm speaking of videos that have a million plus views, they've all had metrics of 10% or higher click-through rate and at least 40% watch time. With that being said, I want to say that videos that follow those metrics of 10% click-through rate and 40% watch time, they do have a likely higher chance to appear in the YouTube algorithm. However, it isn't always guaranteed because I still do have videos that, you know, have 10% click-through rate and 40% watch time, but they don't get over a million views. They do, however, still perform better than a lot of my other videos. Okay. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. If you have a video that you published, you're, you were confident in your research that it was going to be a hit, but it's not hitting those metrics, the 10% click-through rate, the 40% watch time, do you go in and tweak the title, try a different thumbnail, see if you can influence that? No, so I don't recommend listeners to keep working on videos that have already been published. Just take a few aspects from a video that has quote-unquote not worked, okay? But also keep in the mindset that you never know when a video is going to take off. So that video that doesn't do well technically, it might do well four months or six months down the road when YouTube promotes it to the right audience. And that happens randomly. I can't really state when that occurs. So your time is better spent creating the next video rather than endlessly A-B testing different thumbnails. Yes, 100%. So your time is better spent focusing on new videos, but you can take away a few things from that video that didn't work. So if a video didn't work, you know that that topic didn't work, okay? So maybe you won't create your next few videos on that topic. So you can try that, or you can take that aspect from a video that hasn't worked. So there is A-B testing, but it's not A-B testing in the sense that you're changing the same video over and over. You're testing different video ideas, and that's technically your experiment in terms of A-B testing. So you make a video on skiing, for example, and then you make a video on sledding. If your sledding video does better, that's a good indicator that maybe I should make more sledding videos. So that's the way I A-B test. I don't necessarily go back and edit my skiing video and change the title or change the thumbnail. I just keep moving forward and producing new content and testing out those videos. Okay. And I'm on one of your channels here, which we can link up in the show notes. So you give the Jojo Siwa example. And I see a couple other videos also about her. There's videos about the kids from Stranger Things and like, okay, that has a couple million views. So maybe I'll create more videos about the cast of Stranger Things. So I kind of see that it's like, okay, well, this is something that hit once. It's something that the audience is interested in. Maybe it can hit again. Yes, exactly. So that's the idea of doubling down on videos that have worked for your listeners' channels. So the idea with the channel is that whenever you start, you don't want to be so niche regarding, I'm only going to post this type of style of content. So for example, I'm only going to post skiing videos. You kind of want to keep it broad in a sense to, you know, I'll post skiing videos, I'll post ice skating videos, I'll post sledding videos. That's how broad I'm talking about. And then once one video gets more traction than others... Okay, it's like a winter recreation channel. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good broad niche to start with. But again, that's that's the idea of testing out videos, though. So 
for example, in my channel, Stranger Things started taking off. So, of course, I'll post a lot more Stranger Things related content. All right. That makes sense. So to summarize, I'm trying to make a compelling thumbnail, a compelling title, make sure I'm targeting the, the keywords and let, letting YouTube figure out you know, what this video is about. Anything else after hitting publish you're doing to market the stuff? So one thing I've came across just recently within the past maybe four or five months is something called community board posts. Community board posts, if you go onto any YouTube channel, there's going to be a, something called a community tab. That's enabled after I think the channel gets over a thousand subscribers. But this community tab on any channel that you see, it works as a broadcast announcement for whatever the channel owner posts on, okay? So in this community tab, you can post just messages, you can post polls, you can post images. So the way I market my YouTube videos is that I find horizontal channels to mine, horizontal niche channels to, to mine. So for this example, we're going to use, let's pretend that I'm starting a sports channel. My horizontal partner would be a sports compilation channel. So what I do is that I do cold reach out to YouTube channel owners and I say, hey, how much does it cost to promote my videos on your community board tab? I've gotten price ranges for community board posts to be anywhere from $20 to $60. And how it works is that they would basically post your new video on their community board tab to their subscribers. And it works really well hand in hand when you find the right community board post partner to promote your videos on. I've seen very good success. Rather than spending money on ads, on YouTube ads, for example, which I don't recommend, I would think about investing time to find a partner channel and asking them to promote your videos on their community board tab. Okay, interesting. So this is kind of the YouTube equivalent of guest posting or guest podcasting in a way. It's like, how do I get in front of these audiences that, who are interested in similar topics and even paying a little bit to do that? Do you have any metrics on whether that 20 to 60 bucks like was worth it, like in terms of how many views that got you? Of course, you're going to be testing it out. And regarding the actual metrics, when I find that the community board post has done well for me. If I'm starting a completely blank channel that's getting only 20 views every time I post, if the community board post nets me about a thousand views and actually achieves my metrics of getting me a 10% click-through rate or higher and a 40% watch time, I'm actually going to continue using them because a thousand views, that's a good indicator that to show YouTube, let's try recommending this video to more viewers and see what happens. Uh, gotcha, so you're starting out with what is likely to be the most relevant or perhaps the most engaged segment of the YouTube audience, somebody who's already raised their hand and said, I want to subscribe or I want to follow this other similar complimentary channel. And so they're likely to have good stats. They're likely to perform well or behave well in terms of, you know, watching the video engagement metrics. Yes, exactly. So that's what I mean by trying to find like a a horizontal partner. So it's not necessarily you're asking your competition, your quote unquote competition to promote your videos. It's someone that will work well with you. So another good example is pretend you have a videography channel and you're asking a photography channel to promote your videos. So it's not something completely black and white, but you can see working hand on hand. So I've had a lot of success with contacting a lot of compilation channels. So strictly compilation channels that they can't monetize their videos because they're just ripping clips off of YouTube and they're just, you know, compiling it into a video. So those can't be monetizable. So they're not really making any money. So I do offer them, you know, I'll pay anywhere from 20 to 60 bucks for, for you to promote my newest video. And that actually, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But again, that's part of the testing process. But all you need is one community board post partner whose subscribers really resonate with your type of videos. So if you have a community board partner who has 100,000 subscribers or 2 million subscribers, their audience has the potential to see your video and has a chance to resonate with your video. So those are the, those are the types of channels that you only need one of them. You don't need a lot of community board post partners, but it does really help in a way because once these channels post your video in their community board tab, it's basically, again, like a guest post or shout out to all their subscribers saying, hey, if you're interested in this video, go watch it, click on it, and then you'll see 
whether or not their audience actually resonates with your type of style of video based on the watch time and click-through rate. John, the other thing that I meant to ask you about was any other tools in tech that you're using. So you mentioned 4kdownload.com as one of the resources. Obviously, we'll link up viralvideosuccess.com as a resource for editing. There's a bunch of other editing services out there as well. I've been using the TubeBuddy Chrome extension for a little bit of keyword research. Any other tools in tech that you can't live without in this business? So TubeBuddy primarily for tags. I only use the free version of vidIQ to see how many subscribers a channel has without actually clicking on the channel. Okay, so in like search results, it'll add a little... Yeah, it'll have like a little blue number next to the channel name that shows you how many subscribers they have. Because again, with my method of research, I'm looking for a high amount of views, but a low amount of subscribers. So this really makes it easy to visualize rather than clicking on every channel, seeing how many subscribers that channel has. So that's the free version of vidIQ that I use. I do use the paid version of TubeBuddy because... If you don't use the paid version, it's only going to give you, I think, three tags, and it won't give you the rest until you pay. As for other tools that I use, video editing software, I I personally use Final Cut Pro, but I think the majority of my team uses Premiere Pro. Yeah, if you're going to be doing this stuff yourself, you got to have a powerful editing software. Yeah, and then Script, there's not really any tools. Thumbnail, I do use Photoshop as well for the coming up with the thumbnail ideas or creating the thumbnails. Okay. Yeah. I've just been using Canva for that, but any sort of image editor should work. Yes. hundred percent. Any image editor would work. And then for for voiceovers, a hundred percent of my team, they all use Adobe Audition. Sounds good. John, this is fascinating stuff. You've got my gears turning a little bit on even just some of the content that I already have, like especially written content like that could be a script for some of this stuff. So it's interesting to play around. I will be exploring more in the YouTube space in the coming months and excited to see where that goes. Excited to see what everyone listening to this does with the information that John has given. Once again, viralvideosuccess.com. You can check John out on YouTube. We'll link up his channel or you can search John Chorus on YouTube, C-O-R-R-E-S. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Yeah, so Nick, my number one tip for Side Hustle Nation is just to remember that all it takes is literally one video to really bring your channel from level zero to level 100. So to all your listeners, I really do emphasize or recommend keep posting, keep posting quality content that you believe in. And every video that you post is going to bring you one video closer to getting that one video to skyrocket your channel and really bring in the audience that you've been trying to attract. I know you've been doing this for a long time, but do you remember how many it took for you before you had that one hit? <laughs> it took me, I think it was 24 videos, 24 videos before one of my videos hit. And it really gave me the realization of, okay, this works. I don't really have to make any drastic changes. I just have to fine tune and keep doing what I'm doing. If it worked once, I don't see why I can't work again. But that one video that I talked about earlier has really opened my eyes to the potential of YouTube. And all I needed was this one video to prove to myself that what I'm doing is working and I just have to continue at it and stay consistent. I appreciate you sharing that. It wasn't the first video that you hit publish on. It took 24 medium, moderately successful, maybe going nowhere videos before having one uh, that hit. So don't give up. Keep posting quality content. Like John says, I really appreciate you joining me and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. All right, my top three takeaways from this call with John. Number one is to think of videos as evergreen digital assets. Plant those seeds. Aside from the thrill of something going viral and having this one video that brings in 18 grand in nine months, the thing that probably has me most excited about YouTube specifically and really online business in general is this idea of creating little mini digital assets. Each video that you make is a chance to be discovered it's a chance to yeah make a little bit of money. It's a chance to connect with your next raving fan. I mean, podcast episodes, blog articles, same general idea, right? Though they tend to be a little more difficult to go viral. So we talked a little about this in podcasting versus YouTube a few months ago, which was episode 395. 
that while yes, the ad revenue per viewer or per listener is typically lower on YouTube, there's also this potential to really blow it up and get millions of views where that's probably unrealistic for most podcast episodes. At least that's been my experience so far. Now, if video is not your thing, I encourage you to think of what other little mini assets you can create. Maybe those are Kindle books. Maybe it's print-on-demand merch. Maybe it's digital products, evergreen blog articles. Because if you plant those seeds with intention, like John said, I believe good things can start to happen. And you might even begin to taste a little bit of that delicious time-leveraged income. So that's takeaway number one for me, to think of these videos as little evergreen digital assets. Takeaway number two is to study what works. I will admit that until very recently, I've never been much of a consumer of YouTube content. I would vastly prefer to read because I can do it faster or to listen because I can do it while I'm doing something else. But I'm starting to come around to YouTube as a consumer and as a creator. And with that comes an appreciation for all the little strategies and best practices. I've still got a lot to learn. And that means putting in the watch time to see what you like and what you don't like on other channels. So that's takeaway number two, study what works, study what's working. But I'll add this caveat, and that's to make sure that you take action on what you learn. The world's best YouTubers probably didn't start out as the world's best YouTubers. They learned enough to be dangerous and went from there. Takeaway number three is to delegate. With most side hustles, my general strategy has been to do it myself first, learn the skills, right? And then outsource and delegate certain pieces of the puzzle where it made sense. And I think you could do the same thing here, especially if you're starting out on a tight budget. Paying 100 bucks a video, that may not be in the cards. Because paying to create these videos, even if you follow all the best practices, it's still a bit of a gamble. It's just like creating blog content. There's no guarantee you'll ever reach an audience outside of your existing subscriber base. And in that sense, making monetary investments in content is risky. It's a calculated risk, but it's still risky. Could you do it yourself instead? That way you're only investing your time. Now, all that said, you also have to weigh what gets you excited, what gets you out of bed in the morning, and perhaps where could you add the most unique value? I'm confident I could learn a new high-end video editing software like Final Cut Pro, but I'm not confident that's the best use of my time or the most exciting use of my time, maybe is another way to phrase it. This is the same calculation in delegating any aspect of your business. Could you do it versus should you do it? And that's what has me leaning toward delegating here, probably as soon as you can afford to. So that's takeaway number three for me. Once again, you'll find the full text summary and links to all the resources mentioned in this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash John, J-O-N. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.